Welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast. Back again with another edition of the Tape Trader Diaries. I'm your host, the Doctor Among Men, Duncan Joyce, and I'm joined once again by the hardest working Triple H Mark in show business, it's Mr. Kyle Cambry. Hello, welcome to the show. This is a lovely New Year's Eve recording, and I'm looking forward to going to the show with you. Oh, absolutely. Happy New Year, Kyle. Happy New Year. Any favourite things from wrestling? over the past year for you? I think the big one for me is seeing how well Roman Reigns has worked as a heel and the bloodline. I think they've really, really done well with that. Outside of WWE, I'm really enjoying how well AEW are doing. I have sort of dipped in and out watching some of the wrestlers that I quite enjoy watching. That's been entertaining. It's good to see it on the rise. Oh, very nice. I am actually all caught up with my dynamite backlog for once. Oh, brilliant. I made a concerted effort to get through it because of certain matches over this festive period. I think Danielson versus Hangman is probably my favourite match of this year. The hour-long draw. I thought it was absolutely terrific. And then a big shout-out as well to Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair at night one of WrestleMania. Yeah, both fantastic matches. Since it's the end of the year, I want to send a big thank you to all of our listeners. We've hit over 1,800 plays on SoundCloud. It's our most listened to year of a podcast by quite some margin. So we're really, really thankful for everyone who's come and checked us out. That's incredible. Thank you so much for listening. Me and Dunk just enjoy watching wrestling, so the, the fact that you know, you guys constantly just sit and, and listen to us talk about stuff that we love, you know, thank you. We've got a whole heap of exciting stuff with the Tape Trader Diaries coming up for the rest of 2022. And we're kicking it off with this episode where we're looking at King of the Ring 2001. It took place on the 24th of June 2001 from the Continental Airlines Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey. 17,777 fans in attendance, 445,000 people watching at home via pay-per-view. I absolutely love this pay-per-view. Yes, anybody who's checked out our crossover with Last Match Standing podcast will have heard us wax lyrical a little bit on this pay-per-view already. This is a tape that I borrowed from Kyle. It was a Silver Vision double pack with some documentary on TLC. Is that right, Kyle? Yeah, it was particularly the Team Extreme documentary. It just delved a little deeper into the TLC stuff. I miss bonus double packs like that because that's how I wound up getting the first ECW One Night Stand because it was bundled in with Vengeance that year. Yeah, they were great, the double DVDs. Like you say, you kind of got a little bit more exposure to other stuff. Yeah. One year, I think SummerSlam 2004 had the best of WWE Confidential bundled in with it. I kept that set around for way longer than 
SummerSlam itself held any interest to me because of that bonus set. Yeah. This period of time is a very weird kind of stopgap before we reach the WCW invasion. And for those keeping score at home, yes, I did capitalise the V in my notes. (laughs) I'm on brand here. You got this weird DDP storyline, but my big memories from this were Benoit and Jericho chasing after Austin and Vince. Jericho won the hardcore title, Benoit made Rhino tap out, and then there was this absolutely unreal match between Austin and Benoit when SmackDown was in Edmonton. I really enjoyed around this era, you know, especially seeing, like you say, with the Austin, Jericho and Benoit, the build-up towards that, and the build-up for Angle and Shane as well. I think we're, we're sort of at, I don't know, the pinnacle of the hype matches, if you will. When you're watching before a pay-per-view where it hypes up all the matches, these vignettes are the best. There's a whole heap going on. A really extended portion of that Benoit and Austin match got shown on Heat. It's really funny because there was loads of chair shots in it, and whenever there was a chair shot on Heat, they cut away to the crowd. So there's like a good one to two minute stretch where it's like, oh, Austin is going after Benoit! And they show the audience, (laughs) and then Benoit goes back, and then they're like, hey, in the audience. Did you get this as a gift, by the way, Kyle? I did, yes. I remember actually watching this live, because my cousin had bought it for pay-per-view, and I enjoyed it so much, it was sort of one of those things of, "Ah, I need to own this, I need to own it, I need to own it. I put it in my little list for Santa Claus. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> oh, awesome. So this is the ninth time that King of the Ring was featured via pay-per-view. It had a slightly different format this year, though. I believe it's the first time they've not held the quarterfinals on pay-per-view. Whenever I think of King of the Ring, I always think of like the two semi-finals and the final. But again, I think that's just because this pay-per-view's ingrained into my head so much that that <laughs> I only think about these semi-finals. Yeah. I guess I'm the opposite because King of the Ring 2000 was my first King of the Ring and the quarterfinals were some of the more rewarding matches on that show. Eddie and Val Venus had a match and Jericho and Angle had a match. The later stages of the tournament were all a bit like story-driven and they didn't feel like full complete matches i guess yeah so in the run-up to the show there were qualifiers that were held started on the june 4th raw where jeff hardy beat matt hardy they like having the hardys wrestle each other this year don't they (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're at it at the royal rumble we'll see them at it again in a later edition of the tape trader diaries as well rhino beat taz on that show as well On the June 7th Smackdown, Kurt Angle beat Hardcore Holly and Edge beat Test. And on the June 11th Raw, Christian beat Kane and Perry Saturn, the bastard, he beat Random Steve. Oh. Random Steve, Random Steve fills out any match card. Random Steve, Random Steve fills out any match card. I thought that after the last episode, that was it for Random Steve, but we've still been able to get him into this episode. 
Yeah. Perry Saturn, you dick. <laughs> I know. We could have had a bigger run with him in this show if it wasn't for Perry Saturn. Oh, fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> On June 14th, SmackDown, Big Show beat Raven and Tajiri beat Crash. And then the quarterfinals were all held on the June 18th edition of Raw, where Kurt Angle beat Jeff Hardy, Rhino beat Tajiri, Edge beat Perry Saturn, and Christian beat The Big Show. Fucking giant killer run here for Christian. (laughs) That was another thing that I did like about this King of the Ring, is that having the likes of Christian, Edge, Rhino in like semi-final matches... It was quite cool seeing mid-carders get that big push. The way they've been drawn together is Kurt Angle's facing Christian and Edge is facing Rhino, and all these four men were allies going into this show. Yeah, they were were all like Angle's lackeys, weren't they? Mm, Yeah. So it's an interesting sort of dynamic here. It's kind of different from like the last time we had heel versus heel stuff, where it was Angle and Triple H. There's kind of two heel versus heel scenarios. One's where you're kind of having to use it as a stop-off in the story to get from A to B. And the other side of things is what we've got on this show here, where it's essentially a vehicle to turn someone's face. Yeah. So even though everybody's heel going into this show, the big goal here is to get Edge and Christian over as fan favourites again. Ah, but before the pay-per-view itself got started, we had a big championship matchup on Sunday Night Heat. It was for the European title with Matt Hardy defending against Just Incredible. And I forgot how rubbish Just Incredible's music was. <laughs> like, I was praying and hoping for some more Uncle Cracker, but instead I got the... It's... Absolutely nothing compared to Matt Hardy's music. <laughs> no. The very start of this match, Justin had Matt in the corner and Matt was yelling, Get him off my hair! <laughs> I thought it was a bit, bit, a bit strange. And then the way Matt wrestled in the early goings, it's very taunting and almost heelish. Yeah. I suppose it's sort of borderline heel tactics, but also... You've sort of got to do that little bit extra when you're champion to try and keep the upper hand to keep your belt. Yes, Roddy Piper is someone who has spoken about this. His only title run in the WWF was when he was the Intercontinental Champion and he was saying, right, well, okay, when I was wrestling normally, I'm just like a madman because I've got nothing left to lose. But when I was the Intercontinental Champion, I had to kind of think a little more and really put some thought into what my style was going to be because, well, I've got something that I could actually lose here. Yeah. I also forgot about Just Incredible's running front face DDT. The match is mostly padded out with some relatively elementary stuff. It came to a finish when Matt was stuck in the ropes and Justin tried to take a swipe at Lita. So while the ref was busy unhooking Matt, Lita snuck in with the Lita Kamrana, and then when Matt got out, he hit the twist of fate to retain after seven minutes and three seconds. I thought this was all right. This is a bit more like what I was used to watching on Sunday Night Heat on Channel 4. Lots of the other Sunday Night Heat matches we've had in our run have just been like, 
oh shit, get it out of the way, we've got a pay-per-view to sell. Whereas this one could like breathe a bit more as a match. Yeah, the one thing watching this that I felt was that two-thirds of it were taken up by Jim Ross and Paul Heyman talking about the main event instead of actually calling the match. How very WCW of them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we reach the main show itself with a spooky photo shoot of the King of the Ring throne interspersed with Austin going, Ah! <laughs> it runs down... Kurt Angle looking to retain the King of the Ring, and DDP begging The Undertaker, make me famous! Have you been able to check out... Oh, no, you won't have done with the network. I was going to say the DDP Stone Cold interview. He was this month's guest, wasn't he? Yeah, he was not a fan of this angle. (laughs) I don't blame him. (laughs) He was basically saying to Austin that he went into Vince's office and Vince sort of said about the storyline that he wanted to do about bringing DDP in and wanted him to sort of be like a peeping Tom to Sarah and and all that (laughs) sort of stuff. And uh, DDP's like, I'm sat there with my wife, and I'm like, can't you see I've got a wife? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, Vince doesn't give a shit. (laughs) DDP peeping Tom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah, he said he, he literally agreed to the match because of the, the salary. and He was a mark for WWE. He always wanted to go back. And if this is what he had to do to get back in, then this is what he had to do. But he was 100% not on board with this. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, we were speaking last episode about stages. This pay-per-view, we've got the big, massive, freaking King of the Ring throne. Oh, I love it. Again, we're, we're smack bang in the middle of... Epic stages. No doubt about it. The theme song is rather less epic, though. it go on to be one of Molly Holly's themes. It's got to be original, hasn't it? Yeah. The theme song. You can't have it repackaged anywhere. Yeah, it didn't really scream King of the Ring for me. No. Speak of the devil, Kyle. Diamond Dallas Page has arrived. (laughs) He was walking through the crowd, but handily they decided to play his music in his Titantron as well. Like, in kayfabe, how how does that work? <laughs> yeah, we know he's here, but he's just bought a ticket. <laughs> On Monday, he revealed himself as the stalker of The Undertaker's wife. He said Undertaker looked pissed off on SmackDown, but reveals he should be thankful he didn't reveal his personal collection because it gets more than a thumbs up. He even calls the Undertaker take. I mean, you know, he's trying to be hip. He's trying to be cool. <laughs> hey, take. Hey, T. Jesus. <laughs> you dog. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> he'll kick the big dog's ass all over his yard and promises on Monday that he'll be the first WCW superstar ever in Madison Square Garden. He has a front row ticket, so he won't be hard to find. He even brought a Make Me Famous sign with him. I mean, his Make Me Famous sign is nothing on the sign that was just to the right of him that said Diamond Dallas Peeper. (laughs) That is spot on. (laughs) That's a good call, that. 
Speaking of fans around Paige, did you see he just shook someone's hand in the audience? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he, he's trying to get friendly with everyone. This is going to be his, his audience going forward. <laughs> <laughs> when you're talking about Paige not being into this storyline, him just glad having some fans gives me that impression for sure. Like, he's not committed to being a peeping Tom creepo greasy grebo guy when he's like oh I love you man thanks for supporting me <laughs> there's some guy in the front row <laughs> yeah I think he, he tried to keep it on the better side of what it could have turned out to be Kyle as someone who didn't really watch WCW what did you know about Diamond Dallas Page before this storyline and what did you think of this as a first impression So I was really excited to see DDP. I'd heard that he was like one of the top guys in WCW because there was this whole thing around his age and him getting this sort of second wind and changing his style up a bit. And then obviously Vince came in and bought the company and sort of snuffed it out. So I was really looking forward to DDP coming over. And that's that's sort of about it really that I'd, I'd heard of him, but just knowing that, you know, he was one of their top guys. I found lots of elements of this guy to be really, really cool when I was watching. Like, I liked his poses and the diamond cutter thing, like, basically being the RKO out of nowhere before the RKO out of nowhere was a thing. This storyline just didn't line up with where DDP was when WCW ended for me. I've got to say, coming in, this sort was a bit of a shock to me, like storyline-wise. Yeah. I didn't realise that when WCW got bought, all their shows just stopped. I thought in between them invading the WWF and Shane buying them, that there were still WCW shows going on, and because Worldwide on Channel 5 had like a six or seven week delay, I was like speculating, what on earth could have happened in WCW, mate, page like this? I just couldn't get from A to Z. I think he fought Scott Steiner in his last match, and he passed out to Steiner's, I think it was the Steiner recliner that he did, and he he passed out, and that was literally DDP's last match in WCW. And it was like, oh, okay. The way they were trying to line up WCW's plans if Eric Bischoff's consortium had bought them out, Steiner was like writing off all of the big names during his title run, and Paige was one of the last ones that kind of fell victim to him. So that when they do a relaunch show in... I think it was May or some time that they were aiming for. They bring everybody back. Page, Goldberg, Nash, all the people that Steiner had twatted would come back for revenge and it'd be the Big Bang and the launch of a new WCW. Right. But yes, I remember vividly the last time WCW Worldwide was on Channel 5. It was the go-home show before... That title match that DDP had that you mentioned, Kyle, and DDP was on the ramp doing a diamond cutter sign, and they were like, what's going to happen at Greed? And then the continuity announcer came up and said, 
well, that was the last in the series of WCW Worldwide. <laughs> What's the <this> series? <laughs> what are you on about? Do you know, the continuity people are really good for helping you forward with stuff that you want to know about or really kicking you in the balls like this. Yeah. Like, if you watch something and you're thinking, oh, I wonder if they'll do more. It's like, next year there'll be another series. And you're like, oh, my God, yeah. But in this case, it's like, and that is it. <laughs> Channel 5 were terrible at this as well. The other big one for me was, it's like at the end of 1999 and an episode of Hercules had finished and they were like, and Hercules will be back next millennium <laughs> because it was going to be <laughs> t- year 2000 the next time they had an episode. I was like, what? Oh, you bastard, shut up. <laughs> Don't do that to me. The guy who did that has come off air and gone, that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> JR informs us that the tag team titles are going to be on the line tonight. Spike Dudley's going to challenge his brothers, but we still don't know who Spike's partner is. And Paul lets us know that there's rumours Jericho and Benoit have been negotiating with WCW. Mm. They may even defect tomorrow in Madison Square Garden if either of them wins the title. We finally get to our opening match, and it's a King of the Rings semi-final match, pitting Kurt Angle, the defending King of the Ring, against Christian. Paul was good here. He was running down all of the past King of the Ring winners, and he's pointing out they never retained their crown, but Kurt Angle is going to try tonight, like, trying to put Kurt Angle in a different league to all of these already great names. Do you not feel that Angle got a bit more of a cheer coming out. I'm guessing that's because of some of the stuff that he'd been doing, like leading up to the show. But I felt like, even though he's a heel, he got a bit of a cheer. This is always going to happen with the heel versus heel dynamic. They'd not really done anything prior to this show to have people favour Christian, and it's only through the way that this match gets wrestled and Kurt's feud with Shane that people eventually wind up favouring Christian. But, I mean, to be honest, yeah, I probably would favour Kurt Angle ahead of Christian going into this match because he's trying to do something different, being a king of the ring who's going to retain the title. He did this absolutely crazy tornado takedown at the start of this match. I was trying to understand the physics of all that. When they pulled them off right, they just look slick and one slight manoeuvre either way and yes it looks alright but stuff that like that are just spot on totally to our point earlier Kyle Christian's still wrestling this a little bit heelish he does his chokes in the corner and stuff like that yeah which again like sort of pushes angle into the face side you know not intentionally himself but just the way that Christian's sort of wrestling Angle hits a belly to belly and then sends Christian off the top rope and into the barricade. As JR mentions, it's imperative for Kurt to finish this match quickly. And then Angle starts to zone in on the midsection. Oh, this had my ears burning. JR was talking about being in the shadow of New York City. How long have they been pulling this shit? (laughs) It's one of those in bold that they have to say. Yeah, it's like they're like secretly ashamed of where they actually are. <laughs> yeah. 
spinning heel kick by Christian buys him some time, and that's Shane's cue to come out. Kurt Angle missed the moonsault, and Christian nearly rolled him up for a free count, before getting another near fall with a backbreaker. The Unprettier is then escaped into the ankle lock, and Christian has to use the ref to get the ropes. He almost gets pulled into the Olympic Slam, but counters with the Unprettier. But Shane pulled him off the cover! Christian gets on the apron to argue with Shane, and then the Angle Slam from the outside back inside gets the win for Kurt Angle after 8 minutes and 17 seconds. Kyle, your thoughts on this one? It was pretty good, you know. A lot of action for a match that was under 10 minutes. Shane coming out, getting involved, obviously furthers the story for later on, trying to get him tired out for their match. Yeah, I quite liked it. Quite enjoyable. I think that's a decent story as well. Shane wanting to exhaust Kurt. And I was really surprised how dumb commentary were playing it. Yeah. It's one of those that you sort of, with something that's kind of clear as day, you'd expect commentary to jump on it. Yeah. Just dispense with the whole fake intrigue thing. Like, we know what's going on here. You can say it, it's fine. Yeah. This is a solid opening match. The finishing sequence was really, really slick and, yeah, easily the nicest part of the match. I thought it was, yeah, pretty good way to kick off the show. I believe, isn't this match where Angle suffered a concussion? Because he always said that he wasn't right for the Shane match. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, I'm sure it's this match that he got a concussion. I'm not too sure whereabouts in the match. Yeah, it must have been something pretty innocuous because it seemed a safe enough match. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he certainly goes through the wars tonight. Austin and Deborah are interviewed by Jonathan Coachman, but Stone Cold just wants to know where Vince is. Coach reiterates Vince made a promise on SmackDown that he's not even showing up tonight. Austin's rebuttal here is funny. I'm sure he still loves me as much as I love him. Coach brings up the rumour about Steve's opponents going to the WCW. Austin looked disgusted. What do you think of old Stone Cold's attachment to Vince here? It's funny. I struggle to get on board with heel Austin. But when you see him just in awe of Vince and just making sure that Vince is always there and whatnot, it just <laughs> you have to laugh. It's a surprising bit of levity in, as we were saying on our last episode, a turn I did not want to happen. Mm. Oh my god, here we go, Kyle. It's the video package for the stalker angle, and they even have a graphic as if it's an actual match. Unbelievable. The biggest thing out of this is that from... What people have said to me from, you know, with WCW, how big DDP was as a babyface, and you just bring him in as this weird stalker guy, just just did not make sense. In WCW, he was kind of their people's champion, in the sense of the audience could really relate to him, and he kind of felt like he ascended through the love of the audience and things like that. And he even supposedly pitched doing a programme with The Rock based on that. Doing like people's champion versus people's champion thing and that obviously didn't work out for him because the WWF had other 
crappier plans for him. Yeah. We get all the videos of quote-unquote DDP in the house going, I'm tired of your gamesmanship. Do you know who really did those voiceovers, Kyle? I don't. It was Vince McMahon. (laughs) Oh, God, of course it was. Someone undid all the voice modulation, and I think you can find this online on YouTube somewhere. You can hear it, like, as clear as day, Vince, saying all these lines in his regular voice. Uh, That makes this thing even worse. Paige is going after the biggest, baddest dog in the yard to make an impact, and Undertaker proclaims, Who the hell is Diamond Dallas Page? Fucking cheers. He concludes, King of the ring, please show up. I'm begging you. Do you know about the original plans for this angle, Kyle? I'm not too sure. This was supposed to just be an extension of the Stone Cold and Undertaker feud. Ah. There was a bit the previous month where Austin made up a 911 call where Sarah was in some kind of accident and he was being like dead nasty about it and he's like, I heard her face was all mangled and mushed and yeah. And I think this was like supposed to be the next step for that. At ringside, Paul interviews Paige and calls him brazen. The Titantron then plays secretly filmed footage of Paige having breakfast. And he goes full hypocrite about someone going after his personal life and he begs The Undertaker again to come out and make him famous. Our second match of the night is the second semi-final in the King of the Ring tournament. It's Edge taking on Rhino. As a sign in the crowd put it, it's the Spear versus the Gore. Edge kicks things off early with a spinning heel kick and a drop kick off the apron. He counters a power driver on the floor and crotches Rhino on the guardrail, but Rhino replies with a flapjack into the rail and then exposes the turnbuckle. Edge goes for the spear and he ran right into the turnbuckle, which is Rhino's cue to attack the midsection. He hits a Michinoku driver in a top rope splash for a two count. I loved, on commentary, Paul Heyman was hyping up all of the ex-ECW guys that Rhino beat to get this far in the tournament. Good job. It's like, Rhino, who beat the human suplex machine, Taz, and then the Japanese buzzsaw to jury. <laughs> Edge comes back with a hot shot, inverted atomic drop and net breaker, and then the sunset flip from the top rope to get a near fall. Rhino replies with a great spine buster, but then both men go for their finish simultaneously and butt heads. Look nasty, that. Oh, yeah. But then it's Rhino's turn to eat the exposed turnbuckle, and then Edge hits the execution for the free count to move on after 8 minutes and 52 seconds. In what was a fine match in general, but I feel like it was a bit too similar to the opener. You know, the, the same strategy was moving through the match with the rib attacks and stuff. I'll agree with that. I think the the big thing was the whole go versus spear. So it was quite nice to actually see them do that and them both collide, you know, sort of give the, the fans what they wanted to see. It was a slower pace. It was nice to see the exposed turnbuckle become part of the finish after it being opened earlier. And Heyman on commentary was planting 
quite a bit of the edging Christian jealousy storyline. Sprinkled a bit of that in there. Ooh. But yeah, overall, it was a good match, but it wasn't as entertaining as the first semi-final. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I prefer the first one. We see a clip of Spike on Heat commenting on the Dudley's tag title win and challenging them. JR then interviews Spike, asking who his partner is, but Spike says it's a big surprise. The Dudleys arrive and Bubba Ray calls Molly a big disappointment, then Devon tells Spike to get some sense. Spike Dudley and Molly Holly are kind of the Romeo and Juliet of the wrestling world. Yeah. The Hollies and the Dudleys didn't approve of it and it's turned the Dudleys heel. What do you think about the Dudleys being heel again, Kyle? See, the Dudleys are one of those tag teams that you just get on board with them, whether they're face or heel. But I don't know whether I sort of sway to liking them more as heel. I feel like they get up to more dastardly stuff. It's quite difficult. They need to do a lot of work to kind of put over a different attitude because in the ring, they're going to be doing all the same stuff. Like, fans enjoy the tables and things like that. So it's a bit of a brave move to turn them, arguably at their most popular point, but that's still probably the best time to do a turn because it's got the most shock value and it stops their peak sort of withering away I guess yeah backstage Taz interviews Jericho and Jericho puts over Shane before playing silly buggers about giving an affirmative answer about whether he's joining WCW or not and then finally decides he's going to shut the hell up JR concludes I don't think we got our answer. No, Jim. No, we didn't. On to our third match, and it's for the WWF Tag Team Championship. The Dudley Boys, the new champions, having beat Benoit and Jericho on the previous SmackDown thanks to Austin's interference, are taking on Spike and a mystery partner. We get clips recapping the title change on SmackDown, and then Spike's partner is revealed to be the current Intercontinental Champion... It's Kane! Kane! Good choice, but I got confused about this because I, I was like, isn't Kane going to team with The Undertaker anymore? <laughs> Kane was very good at this, wasn't he, with tag teams? He used to drift. He's had a lot of partners. He has, yeah. He's an incredibly versatile tag partner. You look at the, the range of people that... He's not only teamed with, but had tag team title runs with. He's a bit of a, a, a tag team nomad. He <laughs> just moves on to the next one. <laughs> Spike rushes the ring, and then Kane follows up with a double clothesline. We get a nice step down Frankensteiner by Spike, and then Bubba Gorilla presses Spike into Kane, but Kane throws Spike straight back at him to take Bubba down. That's a great spot. Spike tagged himself in, and Devon faked an injury off a leapfrog to gain the advantage. Devon sends Spike into a Bubba sidewalk slam, and then there's a huge backdrop by Bubba, followed by a monkey toss, and then a second Frankensteiner is blocked with a hellacious powerbomb for a two count. Devon missed his headbutt, which allows Kane to tag in. He runs wild with a backdrop to Bubba, a neckbreaker for a near fall, 
sidewalk slam and a front power slam, which Devon royally messed up his interference trying to break up the count for. Yeah, because De- Teddy Long even stopped counting. Oh, poor Teddy Long. He gets put through the walls as a referee here. Yeah. Kane Gorilla presses Spike over the top rope and into the champions. Hits the top rope clothesline. Pulls Devon out to prevent the 3D. And then Spike hits the Dudley Dog on Bubba. But then Devon was still somehow able to break the fall. The Dudleys hit the double suplex on Kane. Followed by the WhatsApp without the WhatsApp bit. Spike comes back with a double top rope drop kick, but a second Dudley Dog is countered into the 3D for the free count. And the champions retain after 8 minutes and 52 seconds. They look to try and put Spike through a table in the post match, but Kane powerbombs Devon and chokeslams Bubba through the table instead. Kyle, what did you make to this? I think it was your typical tag match. Dudley's controlling it against Spike. What's going to happen? He needs some help. The hot tag with Kane, bringing Kane out. And then, unfortunately, Spike eats the pin. It's kind of marred a little bit by that awkward spot where Devon was just super slow. Teddy Long had to stop his count, which was really awkward. But the fans then went away happy after the match, getting to see the Dudleys get their comeuppance. Oh, no doubt. For a thrown-together match like this, this was really compelling. I liked Bubba brutalising Spike in the middle portion of this match. Kane wound up showing some impressive power on Bubba later down the stretch. And they worked well to keep Spike involved. I thought it was really good continuity that Spike keeps tagging into the match because he wants to fight his battle with Kane. He doesn't want Kane to fight his battle for him. Yeah. This was a very good bit of business here for such an impromptu match. Including Sunday Night Heat, that puts us halfway through the show. So it is half-time question time. I've got one thing to ask you. It's not wrestling related, but it's just going on with our New Year's Eve recording. I know that 2021 has not exactly been the greatest year, but outside of wrestling... What in 2021 has really captured your attention? Ooh. 2021, my wife and I have kind of veered more towards like independent traders and smaller businesses, whether it's like smaller takeaways, local breweries like ABC here in Manchester. You have really excellent can designs drawn by Hamo, who's a, a local artist here. And... You know, things like impromptu markets and stuff like that. Just things that make me appreciate all the cool stuff that's going on in the city, all of the life that's still here, even when things are getting in the way, shall we put it? I'm quite similar to, to you in that sense. We've got a few local businesses, and me and Steph, we now have them doing deliveries, like the smaller businesses. So we've got a fish guy that comes and delivers fish to us we've got a meat guy that comes and delivers meat and stuff like that and just you know like helping the local businesses which is really cool so yeah i think that that's been a a massive thing for 2021 my big thing is i've renewed my subscription to marvel unlimited ah yeah i've fallen down the wormhole of uh, (laughs) reading 
lots of different series and stuff. So that's been a huge thing for me this year, you know. If there's been times where we've not been able to go out or do things or trying to pass time for stuff that that's happening, I've just been signed in, catching up on some storylines and stuff. So that's that's really helped me get through the year. Oh, that's meant I've had a few free months with Kindle Unlimited. I've kind of focused on the DC and the Vertigo stuff that they have on there because I keep having in the back of my mind, okay, I'm sure there's going to be a Marvel Unlimited offer coming up and then it just never comes up. So I, I wind up reading some more Marvel stuff anyway. Currently, I think comics in general are at such a high point, you know, especially with the movies, but the storylines themselves, I think they're quite thought-provoking and there's, there's a lot more within the storylines you know if you delve deeper into them then then you see it face value yeah i have way too many comics to read right now of the champions and the ms marvel stuff that i needed to catch up on jamie hernandez's love and rockets work because there's a little bit of wrestling in there as well i'm currently i'm on the spider-man run and it's the the sinister war at the moment all these previous Bulls are all coming back, so it's nice to sort of have a blast from the past with all these people coming back. The big one for me, the storyline didn't necessarily start this year, but Jonathan Hickman's sort of redevelopment and rediscovery of, of X-Men and you know giving them their own island and their own place to be and their own part of the world and I don't know, I just I think it's really refreshing to see the X-Men in this new light and I think it's fantastic. Since we brought up local traders as well, gotta give a big shout out to Grub, easily my favourite independent food hall in Manchester, and they actually follow us on Twitter as well. Oh wow, fantastic. Edge and Christian meet up backstage and Christian wishes his brother good luck. Then we cut to Paige and the crowd again and we're shown footage of DDP setting off for the venue, which pisses Paige off again. In WWF New York, it's the 1999 King of the Ring winner, Billy Gunn. JR asks him for his prediction, but Billy just moans about not even being invited to the tournament, let alone the arena. He only cares about himself. How do I feel? That's pathetic. Do you feel he's the worst King of the Ring, Kyle? <laughs> no. I would also say no and point out that King Mabel is right there. Yep, that would also be my choice as well. Oh, holy shit, Snacks, it's the final already. Yeah, quite early doors, isn't it? Yes. It's starting to feel like the King of the Ring stuff is just like a backdrop for Kurt Angle's wider story rather than its own standalone thing. They've started to do that in later King of the Rings as well. King of the Ring isn't necessarily a King of the Ring tournament anymore. The last few have sort of just fed into a storyline rather than it being separate. Mm. Like just, for example, the newest one, Xavier Woods, it was all a storyline rather than it being like separate. Yeah, I'm disappointed he's not getting more singles stuff out of that. Yeah. So it's our fourth match of the main card, and it's the final of the King of the Ring tournament. 
Kurt Angle is taking on Edge. And I like that Edge is still selling his ribs when he's walking out here. Good stuff. Continuity Jones here. Yep, perfect. Kurt gets the mic and tries to apologise to him and then tries to convince Edge to forfeit so that Kurt can stay fresh to take on Shane later. And to save Edge the embarrassment of Kurt beating him. That's the swayer. That is the swayer. (laughs) As soon as he says that, that's like, right, well, fuck you. (laughs) Come on. I think I know you. Nope. Edge brawls and flapjacks Kurt. And Kurt replies with a belly to belly over the top rope. That's a jumping on point for the ribs to become a big story in the match again. Edge escapes a back superplex with a roll-up for a two-count, but then gets belly-to-bellied again and sent over the top rope after surviving a sleeper. Edge catches Kurt up on the top rope and Frankensteins him off for a near fall. There's a weird miscommunication where Kurt practically backdropped himself before getting catapulted into the buckle. It gets a bit slicker down the line, though, where we get the Olympic slam counted to an execution attempt counted into the ankle lock, which is escaped with a reverse victory roll for a two-count. Edgman hits the edge of but Christian is accidentally distracting the referee. That then allows Kurt to roll up Edge for a close near fall. The referee gets knocked down, and the ankle lock gets applied by Kurt. Kurt tries to revive the ref, but then eats a spear from Shane. And then Edge capitalises with the execution, which gets the free count to crown Edge the 2001 King of the Ring after 10 minutes and 21 seconds. This was a bit of a mix of the two semi-final matches from earlier. You had it suffering from the same story revolving around the ribs, but then the closing sequences got really, really good. I was just really disappointed by the total lack of ceremony for Edge's win. Yeah, I really enjoyed the match. There was definitely a huge push for Edge. You could see in the match they were really giving Edge quite a few things to highlight sort of his repertoire. Seeing Christian and Shane come out sort of added to the storyline even more. But like you said, there wasn't really anything at the end Yeah, these two are good together overall. They get way better at this as well. And I think we'll see on future shows they have one match in particular that's gold. Taz asks Benoit backstage about the WCW rumour, but Benoit just agrees that, oh yeah, that's a really good question. Someone should think about answering that. Not me, though. We see DDP is still waiting for Take to make him famous. And then, oh, here we go. Coach congratulates Edge backstage and Edge quips that he reeks of royalty. Christian apologises for interfering, but Edge is just like, of course you're trying to help me. What else would you be doing? (laughs) Christian goes to get some balloons and Edge declares that the era of awesomeness has begun. Angle's been shown throwing a tantrum and finally realises what Shane's plan was. He threatens any WCW superstar who gets involved tonight will have their butts kicked out of the Federation and will starve to death. Jesus. Wow. (laughs) On to our fifth match of the night, and it's for the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship. The champion, Jeff Hardy, is facing X-Pac. 
And yeah, Uncle Cracker, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, just before this match. Yes. In the original recording, because obviously the network's changed it now. The original recording, they plugged the next pay-per-view as fully loaded. I've got that here, Kyle, yes. Yeah. Fully loaded coming up next month. We'll see about that. Yeah. <laughs> I always loved that with the dice. It was pretty cool. We touched upon this last episode, got this kind of sustained singles push for Jeff Hardy. It seems to start off well, there's a bit of momentum, and then it sort of flatlines like a wacky waving machine. (laughs) Yeah, it does kind of feel like they're kind of having potter about from spot to spot here. He was involved with Triple H at first with like the workhorse title. Now he's here with X-Pac and this kind of reinvigoration of the light heavyweight division. Kind of this avenue for exciting wrestling and exciting smaller wrestlers, which it seems like a really good fit for him coming off being famous for TLC and stuff. Yeah. The following month, they find something that's even an even better fit for Jeff, which is where I think he benefited the most. But yeah, it's it's strange how quickly they throw things back to the, the tag stuff again. The WWF light heavyweights, Kyle, they kind of seem to run a bit hot and cold in terms of how they want to highlight things and whether they really want to give the go-ahead of this style here. Yeah. See, I always thought that, well, essentially, the WWF light heavyweight is their answer to WCW's cruiserweight. So the idea is that the WCW cruiserweight division was very much high fly, monkey spots, you know, that sort of stuff. So I was always under the impression that that's where this should be going. But it never really got there. No, I feel like in WCW, that division was the big attention getter in terms of that's where you'd have the most eye-catching action and the things that would impress people that were like flicking over from something else or something. WWF seemed to focus on other avenues than that it's usually like the hardcore division or crazy storylines and i guess as well in wcw the cruiserweight division was a spotlight for younger more up-and-coming talent and wwf in general did a better job than wcw of helping people progress beyond that I mean, like, I know Jeff's been kind of pulled into it here, but, like, the young guys in the WWF made their name in the tag team division, revitalising that. Or they'd get the Intercontinental title and they'd go all the way up to the main event, kind of like The Rock. Yeah. So I feel like some of the most famous aspects of that division in WCW kind of got absorbed into other areas of of the WWF. And so this title just feels like trying something for the sake of it. Yeah. But I'm a big fan of these two wrestlers and I was really looking forward to this match. Yeah, I think they both bring their own stuff to the the singles division. 
Paul is putting over X-Pac big time for changing the perception of light heavyweights in the United States. There's a nice leapfrog and arm drag by Jeff and head scissors to the outside. Then Jeff nearly kicks one of the ushers in the fucking face doing the barricade <laughs> run into the clothesline. The whisper in the wind missed, which allows X-Pac to hook an abdominal stretch using the ropes. That cues JR making a Wilbur Schneider reference, and Paul asks him, Where'd you pull that out of? JR goes, My hat! <laughs> X-Pac with a springboard crossbody to the outside and a spinning heel kick as he continues to control the match. The Bronco Buster missed, and Jeff gets a drop kick, sleeper takedown, and a leg drop to the gut. He then collides with X-Pac's leapfrog, which couldn't clear Jeff. But then the whisper in the wing gets a near fall. Pack rolled through a crossbody for a near fall of his own. Then hits the thumb to the eye and the X factor. The referee counted three, but then spotted that Jeff's foot was on the rope and called off the decision. A second X factor then gets countered into the jawjacker and the swanton bomb, which gets the free count for Jeff to retain his title after seven minutes and 11 seconds. What did you think? It was an average match. I mean, Jeff obviously starts off really quick and X-Pac slows it down. But you would think that with these two guys being really quick, they'd try and keep up that momentum of going toe-to-toe. But then the finish kind of came out of nowhere. It was was quite sudden. And then Jeff gets the win. Personally, I think this is the best match of the night so far. I really enjoyed the ring work and there was constant back and forth. I know there was a few flubs, but I still really appreciated the action in this. It's not WCW Cruiserweight good, like, you know, like revolutionarily good, but I highly enjoyed this. The one thing that bugs me about this match is actually not this match. It's something that WWF, especially in this era, were very, very famous for. The next night on Raw... They had another match and X Pac won. Oh, you're kidding me. It was that soon. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. It kind of takes away from the pay per view match. Oh, that's disappointing. Because I knew Pac got the title eventually. I didn't realise it was like that. Oh. Yeah, literally the next day. So Jeff only had the belt for 20 days. Oh, that's not very good. So for me, I think that's what mars the match a little. See, this 50-50 booking is associated as a downside to modern-day WWE booking. I don't think people realise how rampant it has been in earlier periods of WWF history as well. Yeah. Commissioner Regal and Tajiri are backstage, and then Austin barges in and tries to call Vince on Regal's rotary phone. <laughs> We still had a rotary phone at this point. Mum, I think she like deliberately wrecked the dial and then rang BT and was like, oh, the phone's crapped out. Can you send us another one? And they were like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Tactics. Yeah. Austin tells Vince about the WCW rumour and then Regal verifies it for Vince. Steve telling the truth. If you can't trust him, who can you trust? (laughs) A 
apparently that convinces Vince to come over. DDP is still agitated at ringside as more footage is shown of him arriving at the arena. He finally decides to grab a mic and he's basically the living embodiment of that drill. I am not owned. I am not owned tweet. (laughs) He calls out the Undertaker and it's at this point I notice he's wearing elbow pads with his street clothes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite a mix. It's revealed that Sarah was the one who was filming him. It's time to become famous. And here comes The Undertaker walking to the ring very slowly. Yeah. He puts on his fighting gloves very slowly. Or as JR puts it, he's gloving up. Finally, the fight is on and Undertaker batters Paige. Paige finally gets an advantage with a low blow, but then The Undertaker does his rights and lefts on his knees, where he does the... (laughs) Sarah comes out with a camcorder to film some more stuff. Paige is sent right into Mark Yaten, comes back with chair shots, only to get speared over the announce table and battered again. Paige hightails it after being big-booted out of the ring. And I'm left asking what this did for anybody, especially WCW. Oh, what a crock of shit. I've literally, my notes was DDP gets annihilated. Taken no cells, everything. JR says, put your children to bed. (laughs) 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 That's literally my notes for all that. (laughs) I was like, what is this shit? Put your children to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know how I missed The Undertaker being a massive shit like this when I was growing up. (laughs) Austin is backstage awaiting Vince. The usher tells him it probably takes about half an hour to get to hear from Greenwich. And he promises he'll find Austin when Vince arrives. Next up, we get the video package for the Kurt Angle and Shane McMahon street fight, which is next. Kurt's story, Benoit stole his gold medals after Backlash, and he went on a big quest to get them back. It's really funny, I remember one match on SmackDown, he was fighting Hardcore Holly, and Kurt, he's always had this like milk thing about his character, but he was actually the face of the Got Milk campaign by this point. And Holly came out and he had a glass of milk. He's like, hey, Kurt. Like, sipping his milk. Got medals? Like, you shit. <laughs> Angle regained his medal from Benoit at Judgment Day and was holding a re-coronation ceremony on Raw the next night, but it was interrupted by Shane. They then show clips of Lance Storm and Stacey Keebler invading SmackDown and Kurt Olympic slamming Shane off the podium for calling him a wussy. Well, I mean, that's a strong word, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Strongly worded (laughs) argument there. (laughs) We also saw Shane Olympic slam Kurt and steal his pose. He must have twiddled the control stick anti-clockwise on the N64. Since Shane's from the mean streets of Greenwich, Angle made the challenge for a street fight. So we've got three Kurt Angle matches in one night. A bit of a treat here. 
it's hard to imagine how exhausting this must be, though. Oh, yeah. Because at the end of the day, they're still athletes, aren't they? I mean, even mentally as well, to like, figure out what you're doing in all the different matches must be difficult. Yeah. It's a bit of a precarious position to put people in, though, because they did this with Benoit the previous month when he wrestled Kurt Angle for the medals. It was a two out of three falls match, and there were loads of different stipulations in that. And then they had Benoit team up with Jericho in the tag team turmoil. So he wrestled like for ages and ages, and oh, it's totally a surprise to no one that like a week later and he's in a TLC match and he busts his neck. Yeah. It feels like a recipe for something going wrong here. Yeah. So it's our sixth match of the show. A street fight seeing Shane McMahon taking on Kurt Angle. Shane's well into his custom Shane O'Mac jersey stage here. And on the back of his jersey today is Super Mac. Kurt's kryptonite. JR quips, I doubt Kurt can even spell kryptonite. Intelligence is literally one of the three eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Angle is fucked right off. He throws his gold medal down and immediately takes Shane down. We get a dragon screw by Shane, and he even arm drags and heel trips Kurt down. Um, why is the referee counting Shane out? Very strange. <laughs> oh, not proper autopilot here. It's a WCW thing, this. There's no rules <laughs> other than the rules that we want to put in place. <laughs> Kurt gave Shane a free attempt to hook a hold and then immediately counted it. When he gives Shane another shot, Shane instead chooses to punk Kurt in the ribs this time and then hits a flying back elbow and uses his own momentum to escape a waist lock and send Kurt to the outside. Excuse more cat and mouse antics from Shane as he leaps from the barricade and then leapfrogs the announce table from the barricade to clothesline Kurt. We get kendo stick shots and a clothesline over the barricade, arm drags into the barricade and a tackle into the steps. Kurt keeps bridging out of cover attempts by Shane on his neck, and so Shane just elbows him and gets more weapons. Shane goes to the ankle lock, but it gets kicked off. Only for Shane to reply with a great float over DDT. JR says that Shane has no formal training, and it shows in his execution of the sharpshooter. Bloody hell. <laughs> Angle uses the kendo stick to escape it. And why is the referee counting both lads down? Referee, you need to sort your shit out. Count outs, very infamous part of the no rules, no disqualification street fights. Shane does a great kendo stick dodge. He goes to the shooting star press, but Kurt moved. Paul quips, now where did he pull that one out of? Kurt dumps Shane over the top rope, but gets suplexed in the aisle. And I'm sure it's at this point that Kurt tells him, I think I broke my tailbone. Brutal. We'd hear that on the Don't Try This at Home for years and years after this. Yeah. Kurt wallops Shane into the foot of the throne set and then we get the now infamous suplexes into the glass. Oh, God. Did you hear the thud on that first one when Shane's head hit the floor? Yeah. 
It was just completely sickening. The second one breaks the glass and it was spectacular. The lads then have a blatant chat to check if Shane is still with it. And then when they try doing it the other way through the other screen, Kurt ends up settling for just throwing him through the glass. Kurt can't even drag Shane on the floor because he's so knackered and Shane is such dead weight. So he has to trolley him back down the aisle on a production crate. And he puts Shane in the ring, but Shane still kicks out and it gets a huge pop in the crowd. Shane, holy fuck, he's even fighting back. He hits a low blow and the Olympic slam and Kurt Angle kicked out. Angle teased an ankle lock but catapulted Shane onto the top rope instead. He then attacks with a wooden board and uses it as a platform to Olympic slam Shane off the top rope. And you could literally hear the crowd's breath getting taken away. That's enough of a free count after 26 minutes of oh, ungodly action. As JR put it, mercifully, my God, it's over. This was certainly one for the books, Kyle. It definitely was. What a match. I don't get bored of this match. I can watch this match over and over and over and over again. All right, the first few minutes of the match aren't outstanding. But as soon as they get into the groove, they're right up there. And considering that this is Angle's third match of the night, he's still on top form. That spot with the glass, even now when I know it's coming, I still wince when I'm watching it. Yeah, I thought the match was brilliant. Mike Chioda, we need to sort how he's refereeing and what rules he's going to give at certain points. Um, the only thing, and this is the slightest, slightest thing, and it's something that I noticed when I watched it back recently. When they're on the board at the very end, he actually holds the board to keep them balanced. Oh, the ref does? Yeah, so oh. I sort of, I don't know, I wasn't in the trance of the match at that point when I noticed that. I was like, oh, no! <laughs> oh, okay, I see. That's kind of like when... If you see any ladder matches, the refs are quite often waits for people on the ladders when they get right up to the top as well. Yeah. I think in this match, I could kind of buy it as the ref is trying to negotiate with the wrestlers here, being like, what the fuck are you doing? Come on, this is crazy. And it's kind of like a byproduct that he's supporting what he's going to try by accident. <laughs> Yeah, I'm happy to accept that. It was just one small thing that I noticed and I was like, oh no! (laughs) But, you know, I mean, that's like the smallest little thing. Other than that, incredible match. Really, really enjoyable. Yeah. This was stunning. An all-out showstopper. This was a match that helped legitimise Kurt as this brutal, innovative and tough sadist who could go beyond being a goof or a technical wizard. It furthered the legend of Shane as this crazy amateur who would do spectacular things. This match was going at a fair old lick, with a very entertaining story right from the get-go. But the minute that Shane missed that shooting star press, everything just took off to a whole new level. What a fantastic match. Very, very good. Did you know who put the match together? 
you know, who the agent was for this match. Oh, lots of risky shit happens in it. So my guess would be Michael Hayes. No. Oh, it was Al Snow. Really? Yeah, Al Snow helped put the match together. Oh, holy cow. There's an interview on WWE Untold, and Al Snow talks about putting it together and like a bit of an insight on the match. Oh, wow. And the other thing as well, Angle has just wrestled three matches, and he's all messed up. He's had five stitches in his eye. He's cracked his tailbone. And his next match is only 15 days later against Booker T. 15 days? And he's got a cracked tailbone. What the hell? Wow. Fucking wrong with this man. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that match as well. That was right when the WCW and the WWF referees feud was going on. I was watching it at my my next door neighbour's house and his, his grandkids were there and they were like, even the referees are fighting, what is this? <laughs> wow, yeah, I had, I had no clue it was that soon. Yeah. Jesus, he's not human. No. <laughs> Jericho and Benoit are seen warming up while Austin is still waiting on Vince. The Brooklyn Brawler forces him to go to the match because it's time for our main event. The video takes us through Benoit and Y2J ending the two-man power trips regime by taking the tag team titles after Judgment Day. Austin blamed Triple H for being selfish for, on the loss. Now you can piss right off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the people that just don't want to boo me. Fucking insult <laughs> Triple H some more and Kyle will boo the hell out of you. <laughs> Austin claimed he could beat Benoit and Y2J at the same time, so Linda McMahon made the triple threat match. Austin is losing it at this point, and even beat up Michael Cole on SmackDown just because. Vince threatened that he'd leave Austin if he lost the title at King of the Ring, and there was even one point of a run-up to this, where the challengers got the walls of Jericho and the crossface on Austin simultaneously, and it made Austin submit, which is a first in the World Wrestling Federation. Wow. Austin had the, oh, I don't think the people wanted to boo me perspective on his heel run and why it didn't work. Yeah. The other aspect that he talks a lot about is, oh, well, I just didn't have anyone to work with. Rocky left and he had to film a movie and there just wasn't anybody. And uh, I don't quite buy that here. Like, Benoit and Jericho hadn't really gotten title shots in quite a while, but I still think they did a really good job of building them up as contenders here in terms of what they put them through. Yeah. We'll see how it plays out in the match itself, which is the main event of the night. A triple threat match for the WWF Championship. Stone Cold Steve Austin is the champion defending against Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. Oh, and it's the pay-per-view debut of Jericho's awesome space wormhole titantron. Yeah. I really liked that video. It's my favourite one of his. Austin keeps looking over his shoulder for Vince. So the two Chris's bring him into the ring the hard way. Austin eats chops from both challenges at once. But then Benoit pulls Jericho off a cover to begin the tension. Austin ducked a Jericho heel kick and it hit Benoit in the face, which allows Austin to expose the top turnbuckle. 
The Fez press gets blocked into the walls of Jericho. Benoit interrupts, back suplexing Jericho over the top. And then Austin shitcans Benoit, shows him the title, and yells at him, It'll never be yours! I was a bit too Nick Cage for Stone Cold Steve Austin there. Yeah. (laughs) The stunner is blocked, which leads to a ref bump and Benoit hitting his own Stone Cold stunner. It only got two count because the ref was still groggy. So Benoit hit Austin with the belt, but Jericho broke up the fall. We have a snappy spine buster by Austin for a two count. Jericho comes back, but the lion salt eats the knees. There's a stunner attempt, but... Austin settles for a Fez press, and Benoit got a chair, only for it to hit Y2J. Benoit gets Stone Cold stunned all the way out of the ring. Austin then hits a huge pair of superplexes, but Benoit comes in with the Rolling Germans, and he reached five of them before eventually getting low-blowed. Jericho locked on the walls of Jericho, and then Benoit joins in with the crossface, and Austin tapped out. But Hebner says there can only be one winner, so he won't let it count. What a lame way of dealing with that. Yeah. I love that little callback. It's a triple threat match. One guy has effectively lost, even though the other two haven't really won. So just get him out of the match and let the other two fight it out. Yeah. That's what I'd do. Bumming Hebneritis strikes again. <laughs> A crossface on Jericho is then countered to an attempted walls of Jericho, but Benoit kicks him off. Austin gets a chair, but Benoit baseball slides into it. And then Jericho inadvertently hotshots himself and shitcans Benoit, which cues the arrival of WCW champion Booker T. Boom! Booker! This is a turn up for the books here. He hits a scissors kick on Austin and then back suplexes Austin through the Spanish announce table. It's fucking wild. Benoit hits Jericho with some German suplexes and then it's countered into the walls of Jericho, but Benoit got the ropes. He heads up top for the headbutt, but gets slammed off and then something went really wrong going for the lion salt. I think it was just like way too far out. Both men take a terrible tumble over the top before Jericho brings Austin into the ring and settles for a traditional moonsault. I've never seen Jericho do that before. No. Benoit broke the fall and hit a huge diving headbutt, which forces Jericho to pull the referee out of the ring. There's then a belly-to-back superplex by Benoit, which causes Benoit to really sell his neck. Jericho slipped his arm out of the way from Benoit's head. And they'd use this to try and explain Benoit's neck injury. Like when Jericho turned heel months and months after this, he'd actually take credit for Benoit's injury here. Oh, and here comes Austin and he crawls on top of Benoit and that gets the win and the free count to retain after 27 minutes and 52 seconds. I thought it was a bit of a lame finish. Very much so. What about the match overall, Kyle? What, how did you feel about this one? So I quite enjoyed the match. I thought that the double team situation worked really well until Jericho decided to hit a heel kick on Benoit. The two superplexes was good. And then Benoit's five German suplexes showing him that's how you do it. 
The callback with the walls of Jericho and the crossface spot, very, very nice. Nice little taste of what's to come, seeing Booker T. With the Booker T attack, though, throwing Austin on the table, that's how he broke a few bones in his back. Mm. The one positive of that is we get the funny backstage segments with him and Angle and Vince. Yes. So there's a few positives there. And the other thing as well is there's a point in the match where JR mentions this match isn't a no disqualification match. And as JR says that, Benoit hits Jericho and Hevner did nothing. (laughs) <laughs> so who knows what rule is what during this match <laughs> but yeah going back to it a hell of a match really really good really enjoyed it I still feel this was a pretty good match it was just blighted by the finish being a bit disappointing but I guess they couldn't do anything else to work around Austin's injury it just didn't quite live up to my memories of the TV matches going into this show. That Benoit and Austin match in Edmonton, I'll never forget that one. Holy hell. But still, having said that, it was wrestled to a generally high standard. I just feel like they didn't do enough to get anyone truly invested in Austin losing. And there were very obvious instances where it felt like two singles matches kind of Frankenstein together. Yeah. But I still think this is an enjoyable match overall. As you say, Kyle, Booker T coming in and interfering is the big talking point coming out of this as well. Nice moment. Like you asked me at the beginning of the episode about what I knew of DDP, Booker T was sort of the big one that I knew about because growing up like I was WWF and Martin was always WCW Martin used to always say to me you've got to look out for Booker T Booker T's the guy he's brilliant you know blah 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 so knowing that they'd finally purchased WCW Booker T was one to look out for and seeing him turn up without you know sort of a hint or anything was really cool yeah, Booker T was a big favourite of mine. And this right here is where you really, truly feel like something's going to kick off between the two groups. Because, like, in the video package they had, Shane would bring people out, but they were generally, like, lower-level wrestlers, like wrestlers that people would be familiar with. But here, this is the WCW champion, and he's attacking the WWF champion. This feels like a real statement of intent rather than a a kind of little humble brag so to speak yeah definitely we'll see how that plays out in the future but looking at the show overall kyle what was your favorite match and who was your standout performer and how did you feel about this show overall i've put down seven out of ten i always enjoy this pay-per-view i've got a big soft spot for this pay-per-view I think my favourite match has to be the Angle versus Shane match, without a doubt. And that's just because I can continue to watch that match over and over again and it still be just as good as the first time I watched it. Now, I've done a top three, and that's only because my top one-two would be Angle and Shane. Oh, yeah. Angle, just because he's done three matches, that's a hell of a 
a hell of a goal. And especially with what was contained within the street fight. Shane is borderline there with Angle just because of the stuff that he went through. It was insane. And then my number three is Edge winning the final, mm. seeing him get his push, seeing the spotlight shine over on him. I think it was a great pay-per-view. I think the only thing that you would say that was sort of a bad spot on it was the whole take a DDP thing. What a crock of shit. <laughs> but, yeah, 7 out of 10. Oh, yeah. I'm probably slightly more positive than you on this one. I think you just reminded me about the Undertaker DDP stuff, which is <laughs> the big right blight on the bit. show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took up a bit of time, but as far as the matches go, everything here is perfectly watchable, very enjoyable, and in the case of Shane and Kurt, is a classic. I think it's a bit unfortunate that the King of the Ring tournament matches are the least least accomplished matches on this show, which feels really strange. There's still good matches that would be decent points of other pay-per-views, but it just feels weird that they're the matches that the show is effectively named after and they're just kind of a solid addition to the show rather than one of the highlights. Yeah. Everything else very enjoyable, like the title matches in between the King of the Ring matches were nice. Main event was pretty good, even if it didn't live up to my memories of the feud. And Kurt Angle versus Shane McMahon is essential watching. It's my match of the night easily. Kurt Angle, once again, is my standout. Phenomenal. Unreal wrestling here. Yeah. So that wraps up this show now our next tape on our list is invasion 2001 but watching this show i don't think it really truly gave enough context for the position that wcw were in when they were bought out by the wwf and so i want to do a little bit of something to dive deeper into that and to give our listeners a sense of what it felt like to be a fan watching wrestling on British TV at the time. So I found a couple... You're in for a treat. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I found a couple of little tidbits that will help inform what's going on with WCW around this time. So there was one episode of WCW Worldwide, the version that was on Channel 5, which is from, I think it's just after the new year in 2001, So we'll get a more extended look at some of the wrestlers that were in prominent positions in the company back then. And we're also going to look at the edition of Sunday Night Heat that was shown on Channel 4. It's from the end of June and it's the first time WCW matches were on WWF Sunday Night Heat. This is when they were really trying to take off the WCW brand as like a a kind of spin-off or a rival for the WWF before they eventually rolled things into the invasion. So I'll put in the show notes the exact episodes that we're going to be watching for you to watch ahead of time. But uh, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to this. (laughs) This is going to be the truest sense of what my fandom was actually really like back then. 
like as far as what I was watching week to week. After watching the preview of what we're about to go and watch, I am not looking forward to this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So look for this at some point in the next month. Kyle will have opinions. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh god! In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast or on Instagram at TNW underscore Podcast, or give us a like on Facebook for some more firm details on when our next episode's going to drop and what shows we're going to be looking at in that episode. If you're not doing so already, you probably listen to us on SoundCloud. We're also on Stitcher Radio and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Give us a subscribe. Give us a rating. Spotify podcasts now have ratings, I think. So you can give us a a five-star rating. I'm sure that'll help us somehow. You can find on our SoundCloud page a playlist of all of our episodes so far, as well as my guest appearances on the Raw's Nitro podcast. In the meantime, it's goodbye from Kyle. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And hope you all have a happy new year. And it's a goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road and all the best for 2022.